Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 3. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the United States of America. Glad to have you with me. Uh, I got to play you some audio. This is Jamie Dimon. He's the head of what is J.P. Morgan. Uh, he is one of the financiers of America and the world who all of the experts listen to. Last year, when you said, look, we're worried about the macro story, you said J.P. Morgan is going to be fine, but we're going to act like a hurricane is coming. We're going to behave. We're going to do what we need to do to ensure that we are going to be fine. What did you do? Yeah, I think I think I would change that. We always run the company not knowing what the future is. And that's why I talk about fortunes, balance sheets and margins and growth. We know they're going to be tough times. And what I want to do in tough times is serve you whether it's good or bad. To do that, I need the capital and liquidity to handle the stress environment. And so we have always done that. So when I say I'm prepared, we're prepared for the hurricane. We're pre- we were prepared before I talked about it. We were prepared before the 07 one and the great financial crisis, because I know that bad things happen. And very often they happen in a way you do not expect. So we spend a lot of time. We do 100 stress tests a week, but that doesn't mean I got the one that's going to happen next time the one that's going to surprise you and catch you off guard. How many Fed rate hikes will there be from here, you think? How many more rate hikes? I, look, I, I, the, I think the implied yield curve is we get to 5%. I think there's probably a 50% chance that's right. I think there's a 50% chance it'll have to be six. That's, you know, I don't know. Five or six for rate hikes. So just for time stamping purposes, so that you know, if you're listening later, uh, I'm talking at, at 2.08 p.m. Tuesday, January 10th. The Dow is up 112 points, 112.99. NASDAQ is up 75 points. S&P 500 up 18 points. Last year was a terrible, terrible year for the stock market. We will see where it heads right now. But there is a growing sense across markets and across banks and across, well, really the entire financial sector, that something bad is coming. Janet Yellen, this is breaking news, has been asked by Joe Biden to please stay. She was planning to depart. Some suggested if the election went badly, she'd be ousted. She herself wants to be done. Now, the reason Janet Yellen wants to be done, and and this is commendable. You do need to know this is not a criticism of Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen is on the left. There's no doubt about that. She, her financial prescriptions tend to come from uh, Keynesian economics, But Janet Yellen resents like hell, and it's well known within the White House in Washington, she hates to play partisan. Because Janet Yellen is also one of those people economically of the left who understands Milton Friedman made good points, and Milton Friedman should be listened to as well. She is an intellectually honest liberal. And she hates to do the political talking points of the Biden administration, particularly when she disagrees with them. And so she's wanted out. She found being Treasury Secretary for Biden kind of gross. But it turns out uh, that she's going to stay for the duration of Biden's term thus far. Uh, And the move is because 
with the revamp of the IRS coming, the Republicans have decided they're going to cut back those 87,000 IRS agents, reforms at the World Bank, uh, Russia with sanctions, and now the economic mess that we may be headed towards. They've decided they need to keep Janet Yellen on. This is an admission that something bad is probably coming. They're trying to make it about fighting with Congress, but really this has everything to do with the economy. They don't want to let Janet Yellen go. They'll need someone competent to be directly involved. And the other issue here is that behind the scenes, progressives don't like Janet Yellen. They thought they did. They thought she was one of them, but it turns out she's tired of their nonsense too. Jamie Dimon is saying the Fed probably needs to go above 5%, maybe 6% in interest rates. Uh, banks and credit card companies are about to have their highest interest rates since 2009. And for credit cards, the highest interest rate since 1998. The average, average interest rate on a credit card is about to be 19.8%, the highest since 1998. Jerome Powell has said today that the Federal Reserve may have to make some unpopular decisions to stabilize prices. This is a speech he gave in Sweden. Price stability is the bedrock of a healthy economy and provides the public with immeasurable benefits over time. But restoring price stability when inflation is high can require measures that are not popular in the short term as we raise interest rates to slow the economy. The absence of direct political control over our decisions allows us to take these necessary measures without considering short-term political factors. Now, you need to listen to this again. This may go down as one of the most important speeches given by Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, since he was reappointed by Joe Biden. Listen to this again. The absence of direct political control over our decisions allows us to take necessary measures without considering short-term political factors such as will this hurt the popularity of the president of the United States as he heads to re-election? More of this quote delivered by the chairman of the Federal Reserve in Sweden. Price stability is the bedrock of a healthy economy and provides the public with immeasurable benefits over time. But restoring price stability when inflation is high can require measures that are not popular in the short term as we raise interest rates to slow the economy. May have to take measures that are not popular in the short term as we raise interest rates and the absence of direct political control over our decisions allows us to make these necessary measures without considering political ramifications. That's a big red flag for Democrats right there. But there's more. The underlying data is not good. So you heard the good news about January, or in December, rather. In December, non-farm payroll rose to 223,000. It beat consensus estimates by 203,000, and people were really encouraged by the jobs numbers. 
Civilian unemployment overall surged 717,000. Rapid job creation brought unemployment down to 3.5%, the lowest level since Joe Namath was the Super Bowl champion. But I read an economist, Brian Westbury, and he pointed out that actually the underlying data it, for people who bothered to look was not actually good. Temporary jobs fell 35,000, the fifth straight month of decline, to a level of temp jobs below a year ago. When businesses face increased demand, they hire temporary workers. When they don't have demand, they start letting go of the temporary workers first. And this is the data you did not hear. You have not heard this anywhere. This is the most damning indictment of our economy right now. The total number of hours worked in the private sector was down a tenth of a percent in December the second consecutive monthly decline. So while everyone was looking at payroll beating expectations and more people joined the workforce, the actual total number of hours worked in the private sector declined a tenth of a percent for the second month in a row. So though payrolls were up, the total number of hours worked was less. In other words, when you account for the loss of work hours, even as the number of people went up, it translates into a, the equivalent of losing 125,000 jobs in December, not actually gaining jobs. Fewer temporary workers were there. Fewer hours were worked by workers. That suggests there's actually real weakness in the jobs market. Finding qualified workers has been unusually hard during reopening. Some firms are willing to keep hired workers until it's clear the economy's in a recession, but in doing so, they've cut the hours of those people who are on the payroll, so they're not working as much, even as they're on the payroll, which suggests businesses are still really concerned about an economy. And then there was the ISM services report that comes out, which suggests stagflation. So essentially, the ISM report for the services economy, if it's over 50 it's a number, it's on a number scale up to 100. If it's over 50, the economy is growing. If it's under 50, the economy is not growing. It was at 49.6, which is actually less than what experts thought it was going to be. It's when you take COVID out of the equation, it's the lowest since 2009. It's the first below 50 reading since 2009. Prices paid index declined to 67.6%, but it's still higher than it was from 2011 to 2012, or from 2011 to 2021, rather, misread that. So what does all of this mean? It means stagflation still here, that we're going to hear the consumer price index is down. It's going to be down largely because of energy prices, but the underlying fundamentals of our economy are increasingly weak. It looks more and more like even though as people are being hired, they're being hired and parked into positions where they're not really drawing a lot of income because companies are putting them on the payroll and then not using them as much, which actually amounts to layoffs, not increases in work. It looks like the stagflation numbers out there suggest that stagflation is real, that we're seeing inflation and not really measure uh, wages keeping up. We're not seeing the economy grow as we need. It looks like a recession is coming. And you've got the head of JP Morgan suggesting a recession is coming. The Fed needs to escalate interest rate hikes even more. And now you have the Federal Reserve chairman openly saying that because there's no direct political pressure on the Fed, they can do things that must be done 
but will not be popular, and they have the luxury of avoiding dealing with short-term political ramifications of their unpopular decisions. Every single one of these things together should be screaming to you that we are headed towards bad economic times. The data as a whole suggests inflation is not coming down to 2%. It looks like real GDP might have expanded in the last quarter of 2022. We don't know how fast it's growing right now. But what I can tell you from all this, and I am not an expert, but I know the experts to read and how to read them. And when the Federal Reserve Chairman is again telling you that restoring price stability when inflation is high requires measures that are not popular in the short term and the absence of direct political control over our decisions allows us to take those measures without considering short-term political factors, I would be telling you, you want to save some money, hold on to your hats. It's going to be a wild ride in the next few months. If you own a small to medium-sized business that kept employees on payroll through COVID, you may have a big cash refund waiting for you. The Employee Retention Credit is a tax credit of up to $26,000 per employee, and now more businesses than ever qualify. The experts at RefundsPro.com specialize in cutting through the red tape of qualifying for this government program. Most of their refunds are over $100,000. Even businesses that have received PPP funds may be eligible, and there are absolutely no fees unless you receive a refund. There's no reason not to apply. If your business experienced shutdowns, limited capacity, supply chain challenges, or even reduced revenue due to COVID, you likely qualify. RefundsPro.com has already helped hundreds of businesses, so don't lose the refund you're owed by missing the deadline. Get started today with a free five-minute questionnaire at Refunds with an S, RefundsPro.com. That's Refunds with an S, Pro. Com. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. Let's go to the phones. Jim, you're up next. Welcome. Hey, thank you. Well, I have to ruefully agree with, um, uh, or reluctantly agree, if you prefer, with Jay Powell. It's a shame he has to do this, but we do need to get this inflation under control. Is that supposed to be their uh, part of their one of their two main tasks? Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, I have to admit, I remember back in the early '80s when Paul Volcker was head of the Federal Reserve Bank, Ronald Reagan was president, and the two of them together agreed we need to shut the economy down to fix this mess we're in. And Volcker will say, "I couldn't have done it without his support." And it, but. Jay Powell's not going to get that kind of support from Joe Biden. He keeps printing trillions and trillions right. and trillions. And so I'm reluctantly relieved that Powell is at least going to, is going to do this, I hope, unfortunately. Yeah, look, I, um, I genuinely agree with you that uh, what Reagan could do with Volcker is not going to happen now. At the same time, I am glad the Fed is insulated enough. And I've always been resistant, even from friends of mine on the right, who want to add more political interference and, and political engagement with the Fed, in large part because 
we tend to, and and this is one of the frustrations, I think. And and, Jim, I'll let you go there, but thank you for this. And if you want to call in 877-973-7425, there is a hub of Democrats and Republicans who tend to be pro-business, even as the loud voices in the room on the left are very anti-business. Take, for example, uh, just here in Georgia where I am. The legislature convened on Monday and then promptly disappeared so everybody could get over to uh, Los Angeles for the Georgia game. In fact, uh, Houston Gaines, a state legislator, was sworn in to office by the governor at the football game. But there is a contingent of the left and the right that is highly plugged into the chamber of the Georgia Chamber of Commerce, which doesn't really represent small businesses of the state, represents general and big business interests in the state. And the left and the right uh, tend to like big businesses, the small businesses that cause the problems. Uh, the, the left would prefer you work for a big business that can then easily be unionized and they can get union dues. Uh, the right loves big businesses' money and small businesses can't compete, so they tend to ignore small business. And really, most Americans work in small business still, and everybody forgets about them. But there is a, a contingent on the left and the right that believes in good fiscal policy, even as I even sometimes disagree with some of what they want. Uh, from from the right, I, I think there's a, a level, a lack of aggression sometimes in what the Fed does that could be more aggressive. But also, uh, I do think that the Federal Reserve and its printing of money has made problems bad and they don't have a lot of accountability. I get that. But I like our system better than the direct political manipulation that you can get in places like China and other places. We have a far more stable system because our monetary financial regulators are insulated from the political process so they're more able to do difficult things uh, without having to deal with the political ramifications like what Jerome Powell is talking about and that benefits all of us. Now I will continue taking your phone calls 877-973-7425 but I also want to spend some time and approach the football issue slightly different on TV. How many of you are now paying for subscription TV services? Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, Amazon Prime. How many of you are paying for them? I We're not at the future yet. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this. And did you know that 94 of the top 100 television shows this past year or sporting events. It's it's basically all NFL events too. It's not actually a, a ton of basketball or even baseball. It's it's the NFL dominates. The NFL's popularity shut the NBA and Major League Baseball out of the top ten for the third straight year. But this is also becoming a problem that I want to talk to you about. Eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Welcome. It is. Eric Eric Erickson here. Sorry, I was reading something about Arizona all of a sudden as I was saying my name, and it started to come out as Eris Erickson. Ah, <laughs> uh, the multi. I, you know, I used to be able to do it just fairly well, and I'm more and more mindful I can't as much anymore. We're having this discussion about open browser tabs last night, uh, watching the football game, and, and Philip had like thirty some opening at over forty. That just like makes my OCD go off the rails. I close out all my browser tabs except the ones I need immediately. And then I just flip through them. Like while I'm on, you can't see it, but I'm like flipping between my browser, like open windows. When I'm talking about stories and I've got like five different things in there, I just one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. And my my fingers are moving while I'm talking. It's just what I do. 
but I'm going to fixate on one story right now. This I wish to talk about. This is not political, except it is. The Sports Business Journal has a report out now that of the top 100 shows of 2022, 94 of them are sports. And of the 94 that are sports, 82 of them are NFL games. Let me just read you the list of the top 25 from 1 to 25. Number one was Super Bowl 56, Rams versus the Bengals. 110 million people watched. Number two was the NFC Championship game between the Rams and the 49ers. Then the AFC Championship, Chiefs-Bengals. Then the AFC Divisional Playoff between the Chiefs and the Bills. Then the Thanksgiving game between the Giants and Cowboys. Then the Wild Card game between the 49ers and the Cowboys. Then the NFC Divisional Playoff, Buccaneers versus Rams. Then the NFC Divisional Playoffs, Packers versus 49ers. Then number nine is non-political. 34,646,000 watched Joe Biden's State of the Union. Then it was the Bills-Lions Thanksgiving game. Then the AFC Divisional Playoff, Titans-Bengals. Then it was NFC Wildcard, Buccaneers-Eagles, AFC Wildcard, Chiefs-Steelers. Then it was the Cowboys-Packers game. Then it was the AFC Wildcard, Bengals-Raiders game. Then it was Eagles-Cowboys, Cowboys-Vikings, Bengals-Cowboys, Cardinals-Cowboys, Packers-Buccaneers. You will notice the Cowboys are disproportionately represented in in the top 20. You go from 21 to 40. And number 30, you have the 11th night of the Beijing Olympics that occurred after the Super Bowl game. Number 35, you have the college football championship of 2022, which was Georgia versus Alabama. Number 36 was this year's uh, semifinal on December 31st, the Peach Bowl, Georgia versus Ohio State. Number 41 was college football playoff between TCU and Michigan. 42 was the Macy's Day Parade. Number 50, 19,400,000 people watched the January 6th committee uh, House committee meeting that was televised in the evening. Number 64 was the North Carolina-Duke basketball game. 66 was the Kansas-North Carolina basketball game. Number 67 was the FIFA World Cup final between Argentina and France. Number 69, another one of the uh, the eighth of the House committee on January 6th hearings. 76 was the Rose Bowl, Ohio State and Utah. 77 was the Academy Awards. 86 was the Kentucky Derby, 87 the Beijing Olympics opening ceremony, 88 was Vladimir Zelensky's address to Congress, 93 was the FIFA World Cup U.S.-England game. Overwhelmingly sports, overwhelmingly NFL, Major League Baseball and the NBA did not rank. In fact, I would submit to you this highlights the level of uh, politicization of uh, NBA that they just got shut out altogether. No one wanted to watch NBA games in, in the top 100. No one of NBA. What I find funny there is that disproportionately online, people talk about the NBA, particularly on the left, but in reality, nobody's watching them. 
what I find more remarkable here is is twofold. The NFL dominated everything streaming and not. And this, by the way, data includes streaming. More people are still watching on TV than they are streaming services. But more than that, more importantly than that, sports is the last thing that ties us all together. In 2021, in 2021, you, you need to, to listen to this bit of data here. Six Thursday night football games on Fox cracked the top 100. This year, Thursday night football is on Amazon Prime. Not a single Amazon Prime game showed up in the top 100. People aren't watching Amazon Prime's football games to that extent. There's a larger point here, and it's not about the NFL, although the NFL remains deeply popular. Despite the taking knee controversy and all of that, the number of people I know who said they'd never, ever watch it again, people watch the NFL. People watch the Dallas Cowboys, and not just people in Texas. People watch the NFL, and people watch sports. People watch non-political live sporting events. And the problem is this. I watched the college football championship last night and I had to restart the ESPN app three times. I have FUBU, a, a streaming television service. I also have direct TV on my front porch. I don't have a direct TV outlet and I was watching it on my front porch TV. So I was streaming it. I don't have a uh, live cable feed. And the result was that people were, who were watching it live on TV were watching things happen before I did on Friday night, Kevin McCarthy finally had the votes around midnight to become Speaker of the House, and Mike Rogers of Alabama nearly came to blows on the floor of the House with Mike Gate or Matt Gates to the extent Mike Rogers had to be restrained. And people who saw C-SPAN live on TV saw it 30 seconds to a minute before anyone who saw it streaming. Streaming is the the new thing. Watching stuff over the internet without having a, a tethered line to a cable package from a cable television provider. And yet, people want to go watch live sporting events on their cable television provider because I had to start my ESPN app three times last night because the neighborhood internet bandwidth was so consumed with people on the internet also streaming it that it was crapping out for everybody in the neighborhood. If I had it on actual television with an actual cable package from DirecTV or the local cable provider, Cox, I wouldn't have had to do that because it would have come in live. It would have come in with fine quality. It would have come in without problems. The other problem with the streaming services now is not everybody has them. In 2021, six Fox live broadcasts of football games made it into the top 100. None of Amazon's football games have because not everybody has Amazon Prime. 
And the poorer you are, the less likely you are to be able to afford all of these streaming packages where everybody wants to go now. If you're a poor person, you could probably afford basic cable. You're going to get ESPN. You're going to get ABC, CBS, NBC. You're going to get your basic news and weather packages, and you're going to get C-SPAN. You can watch all of this stuff live, not in delay. Watch it happen live. And if you've got more income, you're switching to streaming services, and your experience is actually degraded. You got to pay 14 bucks for Netflix, 10 bucks for Disney, however much for Apple. You got to pay for Paramount. You got to pay for Peacock. You got to pay for Hulu. You got to pay for all these services. At some point, you're paying more than you're paying for expanded cable. I have a direct TV package, and the reason I keep it, I don't even watch direct TV. I do not watch TV on on like regular cable anymore. The reason I keep my direct TV package is so that I can log in online and watch online stuff that I otherwise wouldn't be able to watch. I have a FUBU package that I run for my office so we can get some TV at the office, which is cheaper for the TVs in the office than it is by paying the cable bill to get basic cable. I get more for less and that makes sense. But then you throw on top all the other services. At some point, it seems like one of these services is going to have to stop producing its own crap in-house original content and and be the place where all the services can go to put their stuff on that's not on cable. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't work for people. It seems like we have a kernel of an idea for the future, but in the process of getting there, what we're doing, more importantly, is breaking us up into tribal parameters where we can no longer watch the same live events together and share. It used to just be HBO. I had all these friends who would talk about The Sopranos, Rush Limbaugh, Dear friend of mine, I'm talking about, oh my gosh, The Sopranos was his favorite show. And he was so mad. I didn't have I didn't have HBO. I couldn't talk to him about it. He would want, want to give me the list. Like, I have no idea what show. Tony who? Game of Thrones, The Red Wedding. It was a joke at the at the um national press dinner or whatever, the White House correspondence dinner. Barack Obama, when president, was talking about the Red Wedding. He actually made it a joke about the Democrats and how they got wiped out in 2010. He said it was like the Red Wedding. If you don't haven't watched Game of Thrones, you have no idea what that reference was. And most Americans had never watched Game of Thrones. The most watched cable program in America and around the world, the most watched show was Game of Thrones. But you had to have HBO, and a lot of people didn't. And now it's more and more common. You can't have conversations with people like, I love slow horses. You only can watch slow horses on Apple TV+. Plus. Not you, have to, you don't have to have the Apple TV hardware, and this is the other problem. Apple... The company that should figure this out can't even figure out how to name its own stupid uh, universe here. You've got the Apple TV software app. You have the Apple TV hardware. You have Apple TV Plus. That's their premium stuff. It makes no sense. But there's a program there. You've got Ted Lasso, which has become famous, but one called Slow Horses. That is one of my favorite things to watch. And then I got to go to Disney Plus to watch Andor. And then not all my friends have Disney Plus and don't have Apple TV. You can't relate anymore on common pop culture. We don't have a common cultural tongue anymore. We don't have common idiomatic expressions anymore. And the thing we all used to be able to relate around television, we no longer have that anymore. We're all in these tribal silos. And that is one of the things I personally believe is further separating us as a country in the vernacular, the common tongue expressions we use on a daily basis. We can't relate to each other at pop culture levels anymore because everything is becoming more and more siloed as you and I are all going bankrupt 10 bucks a pop for per prescription or subscription in addition to basic cable. This isn't sustainable.
as a nation, as a community, as a society, as someone who pays the bill. Your access to the game should not have to depend on the quality of your internet connection, and it does. And in the meantime, for now, the only thing you and I can have a shared experience about increasingly in America today are election events and football. And I'll take that because I'm a political junkie and also I really do like watching football. But I'm not sure it's for the best as more and more of the stuff goes to streaming services and less and less of it is available on the basic cable package. And more of us get our little niches, scratches taken care of where you can scratch the itch of my niche by giving me the, the, the Hulu premium service that no one else has where I can watch some TV show. And by the way, I don't have Hulu, and I'm certainly not getting it after they decided to take Nicole Hannah-Jones's propaganda 1619 thing and turn it into a historic revision of America. But I hope you get my point. The top 100 television and streaming events of last year, 94 of them are sports, 80 Two of them are National Football League. Very few of them are political except for like a State of the Union address or in January 6th hearing. None of them are the niche streaming shows that everybody buzzes about. The culturally lead in this country are having a conversation about things most people don't watch. And of the things that most people watch, the NFL, they're screaming racism about it. Further distorting what's actually going on and what people actually pay attention to. And that's a long-term problem as our country becomes more and more tribal and more and more fractured and more and more balkanized. In fact, before I go to break, let me play this audio for you. Bamani Jones on MSNBC. No, no, I'm sorry. It was CNN. Well, I think the cycle is very similar to the Voting Rights Act cycle, which is you look up and you think things are good enough to where, hey, we don't need to pay that much attention to these safeguards that we have in place to make sure fairness is there. We can just throw that out. People have gotten better. And the next thing you know, you look up and everything is what it was before. It's the same thing we saw with affirmative action in education. Yeah. Is that That's the point that you get to. So when the Rooney Rule first came in, they should really call it the Johnny Cochran Rule because they were afraid that Johnny Cochran was going to take them to court. And ain't nothing scare white people at that time more than the idea that Johnny Cochran was going to take you to court. He was a magician, right? But they put the rule in. And then once they did put that rule in, you saw a lot of black coaches get hired. You saw some changes happen. Then after a while, gradually, people stop thinking that this is an issue. It slows down. It slows down. Then you look up, and it's two. And then people look up and say, hey, man, it's only two. And it's like, oh, I guess we got to do something about that. But the individual owners don't necessarily want to have to be the one to do this. They want to hire the guy that they wanted to. I say all that to say, unless somebody's going to take them to court, I don't feel like they'll be truly dedicated to fixing the problem. But I do think that right now, when you look at the ranks, it does look better than it did just a couple of years ago when it was only two coaches. Ago. The media conversations about football, when people just want to enjoy the game, the politicization, the racialization, the scientific America study on, on who gets hurt the most, it's black athletes, and here's why it's part of the white patriarchy and the like. We are coming apart at the seams as a nation, and the things that could unite us, the culture lead in this country, are doing their best to make divisive, and yet most Americans still, they just want to watch the football game. They want everybody to just shut up and let them watch guys play on the field like they did last night where people just wanted a more competitive game. 
Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here. All right. Um, I gotta now some of you are going to complain, I'm sure. Um, well, you know what? I'm just no 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 no. I I'll go there. Depending on where you are, the fifth or sixth commandment is thou shalt not kill. In Washington, D.C., some group is putting up signs all over Anacostia, the south end of D.C., where they've had out-of-control shootings. It says, thou shalt not kill. There's a perception of... A percentage of the community that seems to have gotten numb to it, desensitized, says Philip Pinnell, the executive director of the Anacostia Coordinating Council. And they're putting up signs saying, thou shalt not kill a message uh, all over the district. About 30 years ago at the height of the crack epi epidemic, when we had also experiencing violence and homicide, then at-large council member William Lightfoot printed up some thou shalt not kill posters and put them throughout the city. So they're going to do a thousand posters with one of the Ten Commandments printed on them. Thou shalt not kill. Now, it's actually thou shalt not murder. And we know it's thou shalt not murder because if you flip one page over the Bible, there's a whole long list of people to kill. Notwithstanding that fact, I'm not sure that people who do not fear the Lord will respect one of his commandments. I don't know that a Bible verse in an increasingly pagan world hostile to the things of God is gonna work. And if it does, there's probably something to be said for when, you know, the I mean, in, in Jeremiah, the, the Emmanuel principle that he will write his law in our hearts, if the words thou shalt not kill all of a sudden, putting that poster up everywhere causes people to not kill. Will, will the left pay attention to the fact that, hmm, you know, Scripture talks about his law being written on their hearts? No, I doubt they will, nor will they tie it together. But I'm just not sure in a society that has taught people not to fear the Lord that they will even respect his laws. So it's more a waste of paper.